everybody. It's another episode of Scholar Tea. I'm Shauna. And I am Cameron Carl. And we're back with the jump off. Scholars giving you the tea in these Scholar Tea streets. So we're going to check in real quick and examine each other's mood today. Are you ready? What's the question? If your mood on today was a P. Diddy artist or group, like making the band or bad boy label artist, who would it be? To me, it's the top selling girl group of bad boy is is that Danity Kane. You know, I, I feel like Danity Kane today because it is early December. Y'all gonna get this episode real fresh, right? Not not recorded weeks in advance. And I am kind of on a high here because my tenure case is wrapping up um, and it's been Amen. very successful so far. And Amen. I feel like I dropped like a hot album, you know, and I'm on top of the world. Remember Danity Kane first dropped and that production value and them videos were top notch. Okay, Shauna's shaking her no because she's a hater. I just don't um, remember. I don't know. I can't okay, tell you one okay, song. Okay. Damaged. So damn. Okay. Anyways, um, so I feel like I dropped a hot album and I'm on top of my game, but there are other aspects of my life that need some focus and need some attention and need some area. I feel like a, a girl group inside, right? Where there's just conflicting interests, competing interests having internal conflicts, figuring out purpose, passion, what's next post-tenure. And I feel like it's kind of a Don versus Aubrey type shit, you know? Like the shit's about to jump off. I don't know. Internal issues and conflict, but go ahead. I'm sorry. I don't know much about Dandy Kane. And actually, the only thing I know is that they came out sometime when I was at Michigan State because uh, one of the hall directors, the assistant hall directors I worked with was all over them and knew everything about them. But I I don't even know who Don and Aubrey are. I'm sorry, y'all. I'll Google it later. Ooh, the disrespect. Okay. Who are you feeling like today? I'd select Jamal Michael Barrow, a.k.a. Moses Michael Levi Barrow, (laughs) a.k.a. Shine. Seriously, I still listen to that song right now. I like Shine. But I I think he's led a rather complex life. His career has taken many turns. He found himself in some situations and uh, still continued to refine himself. He's turned life's lemons into lemonade time and time again. And he currently serves, for those that don't know, as uh, Belize's ambassador of music, the Belizean House of Representatives. Baby, listen, I want to bounce back Shall like I, Shine. Why not just Google this man and his politician photo for showed up? I was like, who is he, this? Shine. Shine is shining. Okay. So if, if anybody can do it, Shine can do it. And so I'm I'm hoping to, you know, just touch the hem of his garment. Hello. It'd be shine. So you shining, 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 shining today on yeah. this Friday, on this Friday as we record this episode. Yes. Well, we welcome you back for another Scholar T jump off post Thanksgiving, post Ash. Thank you for coming back. Thank you for listening. I do want to give a shout out to Dr. Sarah, former Fernandez, now Hurtado, who listens to us religiously, and she uses our check-in questions in her class every week. So shout out to to Dr. Sarah. And I don't know if your students gonna know about Bad Boy, but you know, report back to us. Let us know. Let us know. So in this episode, we are going to do what we usually do. We're going to highlight our scholar of the week. And this week, that is Dr. Kayla Briscoe. We are going to give a little rundown, thoughts on Ash. We are going to have a conversation with Dr. Deanne Squire. I have some problematic things. Y'all boy Kanye has been in these streets. Shauna's going to give us jokes of the day, and we're going to leave you with some affirmations and send you on your way. 
So Shauna, who is the scholar of the week? I, I just need to preface this, y'all. I, I've been trapped in a house with a baby who has an ear infection and RSV for almost a week. I'm stuttering so hard. I, I realize I haven't been talking to anybody. <laughs> Anyways, I'd like to acknowledge Dr. Caleb L. Briscoe, who's an assistant professor in the Department of Educational Leadership at Mississippi State University. Dr. Briscoe's research problematizes oppressed and marginalized populations within higher education through critical theoretical frameworks and qualitative methodological approaches. Through her scholarship on campus racial climate and hate crimes, she seeks to disrupt whiteness and white supremacy on predominantly white campuses. Her research shapes administrators, specifically university presidents' responses to race and racism by challenging their use of anti-Blackness and non-performative rhetoric. Dr. Briscoe is a Spencer Foundation grant recipient for a project entitled Resistance or Racism, Unpacking Critical Race Theory Bans in a Sociopolitical Era of Anti-Racism with a co-principal investigator, Dr. Veronica Jones-Baldwin. Dr. Briscoe's work has been published in the Journal of Diversity in Higher Education, Journal of College Student Development, Higher Education Research and Development, Journal of International Students, and Journal of Student Affairs Research and Practice. Please give it up for Dr. Briscoe. Talk to you, sis. So we are just getting back from Ash. Shauna, we missed you in the academic streets in Vegas at Ashe. Uh, Dr. Joy Gatzengales did us so proud uh, with a wonderful, wonderful Ash conference. I, just let me note this. I do not like conferences in Vegas. The smoke, it was all up in my throat. Oh, it was just really, really aggressive, um, the casino smoke. So I I hate when we have conferences in Vegas. I always forget that people are still smoking in public. Uh, but that was a struggle. Anyways. I hate Vegas. So you don't like smoke. I don't like smoke. I don't like smoke. But I did slip away from the academics and go see Miss Adele in opening night at Caesars <sighs> Palace. And it was, How was, it was it? quite amazing. I was on a mm. high. Like, could nobody steal my joy? Uh, mm. she, did, she did so good. It was just... I'm a Beyonce concert goer. So I want production, theatrics, give me an eight count choreography, you know, boom, boom, cat. So I was like, I get nervous going to see singers just because I, they're going to stand at the microphone. Going to blow, going to sing, perfect pitch, baby. But I always get nervous myself at inter- engaging the show. The production was just really high value. It was really quality. It was really engaging. Uh, if y'all have seen clips online, it is it is a top-notch show. I really enjoyed myself. Kudos to Miss Adele. Anyways, back to the conference. Joy Gatzengales, Dr. Joy Gatzengales, lit us on fire with her keynote, her presidential address, um, humanizing higher ed. She she offered a humanizing model for higher ed, which I hope people use and cite in their work. I have some ideas, Shauna, of how we can do that um, and have an analysis for our own podcast. So we're going to chat about that. Yes. Um, and then the other thing is Dr. Sean Harper and Dr. Lori Patton Davis did a little Beyonce break my soul listening session with analysis of some things in in higher ed. So at the You Won't Break My Soul session with Sean and Lori, Dr. Joy Gatson Gales gets up and talks about get your foundation right, right? Because referencing by um, Beyonce's lyric in Break My Soul, new foundation, um, and <laughs> talked about us as academics being able to be in academia and standing on our foundation and having that foundation solid 
it was just a reminder, you know, of us um, thinking about our work that we do that can be demoralizing, that can be taxing, that can be draining. Um, and people are going to try to steal your joy. You know, what is at the core of us doing this work and not letting these people steal our joy and break our foundation or take us off our foundation. So shout out to Lori, Sean, Joy um, for offering that space uh, during the conference that wasn't a discussant, wasn't three paper session, but an opportunity for us to have critical analysis around you know pop culture and, and the queen bee, Beyonce. Well, I, I'm sorry I missed such a momentous occasion. Uh, I will be there next year. And it was lovely to hear and watch on the sidelines. And I uh, thank you uh, to my Soul Roar group for keeping me in the loop on some of the things that were happening as well while I was at home. Your Soul Roar is honor joy, okay? They, they honor joy. We sent not, roses. Now Dre, now Dre had me carrying them through the hotel, child. <laughs> oh, because we believed that it was it was very important to give Joy roses while she could accept them. So and we just really appreciate all the work that all minoritized voices are, are putting into higher education or putting into Ash as a space of affirmation. And um, it's just really exciting to see how that space in particular is really progressing. Like it, it's a place I do actually look forward to going every year. Now, I, I don't mean to change the the feeling of this conversation at all. But I want to spend a little time talking about fake or faux academic allies as well. I just, I don't know how many people are experiencing this right now, but it's something um, not unique to my role, but I feel like it is particularly poignant uh, as someone who is tasked with doing diversity work on a PWI in a rural space. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about an article written by my esteemed colleagues uh, Michelle Vital, Tanisha Lane, Ebony Perez, and I, um, where we observed uh, that Black women disproportionately experience sabotage, needling, gaslighting, gatekeeping um, in our encounters with faculty, particularly compared to our white counterparts. And these behaviors are salient to highlight in instances where said faculty characterize themselves as allies in the development and outward facing promotion of their professional identities. So they're basically saying like in very public spaces like social media, you know, this is what I stand for. But in the background, they're one of the main propagators of sabotage. Uh, and we noted, quote, participants shared varying experiences with faculty who demonstrated a range of behaviors that we categorize as gatekeeping for the purposes of this work. Faculty gatekeeping constitutes overt and subtle behavior that limits, hinders, redirects, or impedes opportunities, discourages or prevents participation or persistence, and sets boundaries that impacts belonging or success. Gatekeeping is the product of racialized and gendered bias and is employed as a tool to perpetuate inequitable access, representation, and opportunity for Black women in higher education. Um, I did have my own experience most recently with this with someone who purports to be uh, an ally, purports to be someone that stands firm in DEI. And I've noticed continuously that this person in particular is one of the main people pulling the rug from underneath uh, what could be really beautiful progress on our campus. So I I'm just really struggling with that. I'm struggling with people who um, say that this is work that's really important. Um, but then in practice are actually one of the main folks causing issues 
uh, in our communities or are using our our experiences or our voices to to advance in their careers instead of really with authenticity engaging uh, with us and building relationships that are firmly cemented in uh, making social change. Shana, do you know. think there's something about like having a proximity to whiteness rooted in that? Having proximity to whiteness, like using their whiteness as... Not even using their, even people of color, like, right, like the proximity to, well, white white people using their whiteness, but p- even people of color seeing whiteness as a as an opportunity to advance their career or Absolutely. having the proximity to it as power and access... Absolutely. And and I'm sure when I was saying some of the things I was saying that people in, in the, imagine like a white person, I'm saying in general. I, I'm oh, I hear you. Of, I, I wouldn't imagine a white person. Some of these people of color be the ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and I definitely w- wasn't thinking that that was what your perspective was, but I, I do. I'm I'm struggling with it. I mean, if we're trying to be transparent and authentic, I just want to take a moment on our on our space to really talk through a little bit because it's something that I could actually use some some not coaching, but just encouragement around. Um, I'd be interested in hearing folks perspectives on how they do it or deal with it in a way that is progressive um, and effectual. I, I'm desperately trying to find ways to uh, make sure that it doesn't hinder the work that I am tasked to do. Um, and I will say I've grown a lot because um, Shauna from 10 years ago would just been <laughs> out the gate, calling people out, doing certain things that would not be helpful. Uh, it would just make make things more difficult for me. And, and you know, the, the broader perspective of making change on campus, sometimes you have to bottle yourself up. I know that even though it's not okay. I'm just really struggling with that. I mean, I I have a hard time giving some people eye contact in these Ashe streets even because I I know what they're really about and it it troubles me. It's just something I wanted to talk through. I I don't even have an answer. And and Joy, Joy talked about this in her keynote, that that people stand on the pedestal of being about social justice equity and can be the most dehumanizing people Mm -hmm. in higher education, right? And it's to your point, hard to even look them straight in the eye when you know that their actions don't align with what they say they value or they say they research or they say mm-hmm. they want to advance, right? So just stop it. Y'all know who y'all are or y'all know y'all friends with some of these people. Okay, kind of how I feel that at some point we need to develop some kind of system around these folks that are calling police on black and brown folks in particular and causing harm. I think there needs to be some kind of responsibility, some follow-up on those calls, because I I do know and acknowledge that the police have to, they have to respond to every call. Similarly, I think now is about the perfect time to come up with some kind of mechanism or approach to contending with people that repeatedly cause harm, and we know it. And I just don't know what kind of lever to pull to make that happen, but maybe that's a broader conversation we need to be having within these associations since they're supposed to be extensions of the academy. I digress. I just I just wanted to acknowledge, like, it's something that I'm seeing. I'm sure other people are seeing it as well. And it, it's just, it's grinding my gears. Well, there's that. That's what's happening in these academic streets. Um, we know Shauna is not alone in in her feelings. So if you all have some feedback or want to be in community around processing this, reach out to us. Would love to engage with you. Dr. Dean Squire is an associate professor 
and Associate Dean for Inclusive Excellence in the Marcella Niehoff School of Nursing at Loyola University, Chicago. Dr. Squire has 15 years of administrative and academic experience, and he has served professional organizations in the fields of higher education and student affairs and leadership roles, such as the Director of Equity for ACPA, College Student Educators International Governing Board, and in various roles for the Association for the Study of Higher Education, among others. So excited to welcome Dean Squire to chat with us today. Hello, hello, hello. We are excited to be here with Dr. Dean Squire, who is a fan of Scholar T because he texts Sean and I after he would listen to an episode or message us uh, some wonderful ideas. So, so excited to have you in, in the Scholar T streets. Uh, Sean and I talked about taking a four year hiatus. Uh, so you are one of our first guests as we return back to the podcasting world. So thank you for your time and energy um, and for being here, uh, Dean. We would love to catch up with you, just talk about kind of where you are, how things have been, talk about your pathway through the academy. We know you've stepped in a lot of places that um, have not been uh, as exciting as other places you have stepped in. See how I clean that up? Um, so welcome. Welcome, Dean. Say hello to the people. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's been a been a while since we've had an episode, so I'm excited to be part of the the big return. Where am I now? Well, I am in Chicago again, which is great. Back where I did my PhD at Loyola, um, but in a whole different realm. Kind of stepped out of a little bit higher education and student affairs as a field um, specifically, and into healthcare. So now I'm in the School of Nursing at Loyola. And I'm their uh, new associate dean for inclusive excellence. So basically, doing all their DEI work, and uh, I'm really excited to be here. It's a fresh start. It's challenging enough. It's new enough. So I get to keep learning. I think I get to sort of jump back into my administrative roots a little bit, um, which I had left. Some people know I, I did uh, orientation, new student programs for like seven years at the University of Maryland before I went off to get my PhD. Uh, when I started my PhD, I was working with Oyan Poon and she basically said in my like first or second year during a research meeting, she was like, why are you becoming an administrator and getting a PhD? And I was like, oh, okay, that's an interesting question and like an interesting way to phrase that. And I think a lot of it at that point was that I had never thought about myself as a faculty member or the fact that I could be one, right? Like, I think it was sort of that age old story of I'd never seen somebody like me as a faculty member, or like in the professor, really like a gay Asian American man. Like if I did, I don't remember, um, I didn't interact with that person, whatever the case might be. And so for somebody to actually say to me, like you could do that, that's something you can be, then I really took that seriously and uh, really kind of jetted off into the academy um, if I could go back and do it again, would I do it the same way? I don't know. <laughs> um, you know, you said, yeah, I haven't been in such great places. And um, part of the reason why I left and came to Chicago, left, I guess, full-time faculty life and came to Chicago to be an administrator is I just had a really, really bad time in higher ed and student affairs faculty. Just felt like I was in really bad geographical areas where I was isolated, where there were not a lot of people of color with uh, queer people um, where social justice work was absent for the most part, where I was fighting a lot of battles alone, feeling like I wasn't being recognized for the work um, or respected for the work I was doing. 
Um, and that's both on those campuses, but also in the field too. Maybe not a lot of people know that pretty much for the last like seven years, I've been on the job market in some way for faculty jobs. And I've been a finalist for dozen, I don't know, dozen jobs, maybe some of those places that we consider to be the top, you know, top institutions in our field. And at the end of the day, they always go a different direction. The conversation usually starts with, oh, you're too like theoretical or it doesn't bring enough grant dollars and, you know, that kind of conversation. Not to toot my own horn, but to toot my own horn, like my CV is long as fuck and people continue to disrespect me. And so I said, well, if that's going to be the case, then I'm just, I got to go. Like I wasn't about that life anymore. I could, it was too taxing on my body, on my mind. I was incredibly depressed. I considered suicide at some points. Like it was very, very serious. And in particular in this last position, I was just in, in Flagstaff, Arizona at Northern Arizona University. Um, I had to leave. If I didn't leave this past year, I don't know where I'd be right now. Well, Dean, I think what you're saying resonates with so many people. And I can't help but get emotional about some of the things that you're sharing for a variety of reasons. But number one, I'm just really glad you're here. You know, like we need you and we love you. I hate that an institution has that kind of power over determining whether or not even for a career we're considering self-harm, you know, and that is not the first time I've heard that. So it just, it's really powerful to hear that's still in existence, but also I'm really grateful that you centered yourself and took care of yourself and got yourself out of that situation for sure. And and I'm thinking about like your trajectory and all those things coming together, like from your perspective, then like what possibilities surround critical praxis, critical theory, um, and participatory action research. And how do you consider reimagining higher education um, and the future of higher education, considering all these things that are happening right now in the social landscape and what's happening in, in the post-secondary uh, sector as well? Yeah, so my trajectory has been, um, it's been pretty rough. I think the last year have been really trying to figure out like, what are the possibilities of people like me really thriving in higher education student affairs and doing the work that I think is really critical to the field? And how do I grapple with being, I don't know, for some people, maybe a role model of like what a faculty member should be in some ways? And how do I mentor people who want to go in the field? How do I be happy for people who get their PhDs in our field and who get faculty jobs in our field? You know, like on the one hand, I want to like all those tweets. And on the other hand, it's really hard to say you made a good decision. And so that's sort of where I've been sitting for the last year and really trying to figure out, like, what do I want to do with my life? Um, I think it's become an existential uh, question for me. Yeah, Dan, you have me thinking about my I'm going through the tenure process right now. And I'm like, thinking about what's next in the sense of do I actually want to do this for the next 30 years? And, and how does, how does that sit with me? It just, you know, just, no, I don't want to do this for the next 30 years and especially do it this way. So then what does that mean? And what does that look like? So thank you for, for your honesty and, and being open with, with your process. Cause I think you are going to help some people that have been thinking about this kind of frame where they are, where they are with it. Our, our audience loves some gems and you've already dropped quite a few gems, but are there any takeaways um, that you would encourage educators, student affairs educators to utilize when it comes to challenging their own praxis, their own pedagogy, their own practice um, within higher education? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> I don't know if I have an answer for it. And, here, and here's the reason why I'll, I'll say that. 
not to be overly flippant, but part of what I've been spending the last year doing is actually sort of like separating myself quite a bit from the academy as much as I can, um, you know, while still doing my job, while still meeting the metrics and, you know, getting a paycheck. I've been really trying to just like to not read as much, not do as much, right? Like really take a break from everything that I felt was really weighing on me um, and all the kind of work that I had been doing kind of alone in a lot of ways over the last few years. So when I think about sort of like the future of higher education, sometimes I would just say, I'm just trying to do my job right now. I'm trying to, you know, do the job I was hired to do, which is, you know, education and some policy work and, you know, some of those basic things that you do as a DEI person in a healthcare field. So, you know, I think for me, that is one of the questions that I am still trying to figure out for myself. Um, what possibilities are there for myself um, in in reimagining the future of higher ed and being a part of that project, if at all? And also kind of like, what is the role of kind of everybody around us? You know, I think the one thing that I am happy seeing or hopeful seeing is like, who's getting, who are getting these faculty jobs, right? Like, it is a much more racially diverse, gender diverse, like crowd um, than we've seen historically. And I think that's been the trend since, you know, 2014 or so, right? That, you know, FOC 2014 kind of really kicked us off on that, on that trajectory. And so I'm really happy about that. And also who is getting funding from a lot of these organizations and the type of, and the type of work that they're doing. I think that those possibilities and that they're carrying critical research and more participatory forms of research um, in those grants, that is, that is exciting, right? And that there are people who are deciding to sort of leave formal academia and move into some of those spaces too, right? To push those funding organizations because that's what our, that seems to be what our, you know, our deans and our academic leadership are really feeling called to, right? Those big grant dollars. And so for putting people in the right places to do that work and also to fund that work, then I think that those are uh, really positive outcomes and uh, allow for more kind of possibilities for what's kind of going on in the space. I, I think when I think about using like critical theory and participatory action research, and I'm guilty of doing this, right? I am less and less interested in publishing in journals, right? In academic journals. And I more and more and more believe that they are just uh, echo chambers. And this is particularly as I like leave, you know, kind of our, our fields journals and move into healthcare where the publishing world just looks different. Um, and the way that they share information just looks a lot different. And so I think whenever, whatever the possibilities of, of, you know, these forms of um, like epistemologies take um, in their methods, I think the way that we share that research needs to look a lot different. So, you know, I think the, the possible, the reimagining needs to really start with obviously what types of scholarship we reward and, you know, all, all of those pieces that we've read about and talked about forever and ever. But I think it really does need to uh, we really do need to shift the way we think about um, our work. I've written many, many 35, 40 page manuscripts and articles. And like, why? I have a lot of citations, but, you know, not enough to change the face of higher education, right? Like there are people out there who I think are doing really nice work in, you know, in podcasts, right? In more magazine style spaces in, you know, for all their limitations, Chronicle and Inside Higher Education, like those types of spaces where we can talk about 
what needs to happen. I think that those are spaces we need to pay more attention to and maybe even create additional ones that allow us to present research and findings in ways that are more accessible. And, you know, when I think about nursing, the articles in nursing are like six pages. You know, granted, we don't get all the, the nitty gritty about, you know, methods and methodology. And I'm always questioning, like, where did that come from? You know, and why are you calling that participant number one? You know, things like that. But, you know, when it comes down to like the basic findings and um, the implications for the research, it's it's just more easy to get through and to say, okay, here's what I need to do with this information. And I don't think we get that in higher education, right? Everybody has a pile of articles. Everybody has a folder on their computer that says need to read. And they're going to read it four years down the line after it was already published or written three years before it got published, right? So it's like seven years later, you're reading something and then it's out of date. You know, when I think about those possibilities we need to reimagine just like how we share knowledge i think is a big piece of it well dan you've shared so many thoughtful um perspectives with us and with our our viewers our audience rather um so we really appreciate everything that you shared today and we encourage folks to continue to um uncover this work especially when it comes to breaking down ego thinking about like our approach to being careful stewards of of people's experiences while also still challenging the status quo. Like, I think that's really important. We're about to enter into one of my favorite parts of the interviews, the this or that. So you have to pick, you can't stall out on whatever comes to mind first. So quickly, this or that, Denver or Chicago? Chicago. Biking or jogging? Biking. Are you a planner or are you spontaneous? Planner. Android or iPhone? iPhone. Oh, thank you. No green bubbles here. Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Don't attack me. Uh, (laughs) Music festival or concert? Ooh, uh, concert. Well, Dan, thank you for your energy. Thank you for your brilliance. And thank you for your vulnerability uh, with this conversation. Sean and I both love you um, and we appreciate you and are grateful for what you've offered us and to those that, that are listening today. So thank you again for joining us on Scholar T. Thanks so much for having me. Love you too. I just have to say, you know, especially closer to the end, I really appreciated Deanne's authenticity and willingness to be vulnerable. And um, I think that just sets the tone for hopefully how other people feel like they can show up in different spaces in the academy. So thank you again for spending time with us, Deanne. We really appreciate you. Yes. All right. So what's problematic today? What's problematic is going to be real quick because everybody's thinking it, feeling it, and it's just really getting on my nerves. It is a person, which I probably should, you know, say, but all things Kanye is just problematic. All things Kanye, all things Hotep, all things enabling and snuggling up to white supremacy for shock value. Um I, I'm not a doctor and I don't want to diagnose, but you can, I mean, there's a mental illness kind of breakdown that I feel and see. And I just almost feel like, I don't know if he really believes these things or he's just saying them for like shock value. Either way, it's problematic. Um, And I just, I know y'all, everyone has an opinion about her, but I honestly feel for, I feel for Kim, right? Cause like she has these four children 
and this man is out here saying and doing things and you're trying to parent and protect children from from said things um and i just don't know like what's next like right like what what's next and i hope it's not that he doesn't he does no harm physically to himself or to others but i'm like what what are you doing bro like what are you doing and, and it's almost hard to appreciate the art and separate the art from the man because i'm like this is not the man or the artist that i come to know well I, i'm also of the adage that you can't separate <laughs> you can't like i i have not been um a supporter of r kelly for instance since the early 2000s ever since that video came out so like I cannot, will not support, you cannot separate the two. But I also think we need to spend more time really fully acknowledging and understanding what mental illness and mental health is. Because uh, as a society, I've noticed that people continue to mine into that a little bit more as mm -hmm. a reason for why he might be the way he is or um, excusing his behaviors. And I think the two, while he may be having some influence because he's not taking care of himself, he's being who he is. So let's let's not pin that on people that have mental illness or pin that on mental illness, because I also think that that is a problematic thing in itself. I hear um, you. I hear you. I, I feel like he has some issues uh, related. But you don't to, think he's had like it's, it's kind of manic, though, like some of the things he's doing is very manic. I think he's he's been manic, but. I also just think that we are also getting a sense of who he is as a person. Yeah. And yeah. for better or for worse, I think people are just trying to find a way to uh, rationalize their continued support for him, acknowledging that oh, maybe he's just a really bad, horrible person. Yeah. The rationaliz the rationalizing and doing backflips and bends and your body don't even move that way to justify mm -hmm. a man's behavior is that is mm -hmm. absolutely ridiculous. And I also think that there's some kind of layer or a level of her protection that we're trying to offer him as a black community because we hate to see black people uh spiraling in public you know yeah. We, yeah. we don't want to continue to offer ammunition either and i recognize and acknowledge that but i just can't i can't i can't do it um maybe he's just a horrible person and he's problematic as hell so yes that's what's problematic this week shauna where them jokes at i got these jokes right here you ready for these jokes bloop, all bloop, right bloop, all right bloop. hey um I'm still getting texts about the iPhone users. Y'all acting like y'all got stock up in this thing. Like, like I, like Apple is paying your rent or something. Because don't you don't, know. you don't understand the annoyance when that green bubble pops up on your iPhone. I, I get annoyed. But go ahead with your jokes, sis. I'll be that. I'll be that. Okay, what do you call a hen on lookout patrol? I, I, I don't know. A finger. Hen a seat. Hen a seat. Hen a seat. Hen. Han, Hennessy, Hennessy. Hennessy. Oh, you're so country. Hennessy. <laughs> what does Rick Ross say when he's washing a load of whites? R Ricky Rose. I think I need bleach. <laughs> what? That was your that was your Ricky Rose impression. <laughs> you know, you gotta hold it in your throat right here. Okay, okay. What do you call a song that never shows up? Silence. A dead beat. Oh, I like that one. <laughs> Knock, knock. Who's there? Little old lady. Little old lady who? Oh, snap. I didn't know you could yodel. <laughs> don't don't but, muffle your 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 laughs. We need to we need to. I, hear I was about to go to a coughing attack. That's why I had to mute. Ooh, Sorry. Yodel. But that was because it was. Keep your SARS. Keep your it SARS. Was, it was very funny. Very funny. <laughs> uh, well, we'd like to acknowledge Anjale Welton, who was appointed by by UW Madison campus leadership 
as the Rappel Bascom Professor, which confirms the high esteem in which she is held by her colleagues. Julian Vasquez Hilig, he's been named recently the new Provost and Vice President of Academic Affairs at Western Michigan University. And last but not least, please congratulate my dear friend Monroe France as he prepares to transition to Tufts University as the Vice Provost for Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Justice. The unconquerable Tina Turner once noted, the future belongs to those who believe in the beauty of their own dreams. As the semester dwindles down, make space for reflection, correction, celebration, and new beginnings. Clip those dead ends, but also make space in your heart for forgiveness, for self-acknowledgement and self-responsibility, as well as new connections. Well, thank you for spending another episode of Scholar Tea with us. We are your scholars. We gave you the tea, wishing you a happy new year and a prosperous start to a new academic term. Holla. Bye.